Nationals fans and welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast. Hope you enjoyed your long weekend and are prepared for a short week, work week with Martin Luther King holiday yesterday. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano with you on the Mass and All Access podcast. Of course, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. It's often, I think, thought of as the uh, quietest and slowest week in the sporting world. This week, the week in between uh, the and the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, because uh, you know, obviously there's no football playoffs coming up. It's I think the NHL All Star break, um, still baseball off season. So there's just like NBA basketball and college basketball, but we still got plenty to talk about um, in terms of baseball off season stuff, uh, Paul. So um, let's well, is first off is the Pro Bowl still a week between? Yeah, the I Super think Bowl? they did. Uh, they, yeah, that's still a thing. Okay, but is that a thing? I mean, I mean, it's a yeah. thing, but like, is that a thing we care about? The thing is, I I end up watching half of it every year because really? it's it's like the only thing on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is, but it's like it's it's, uh, it's terrible. The oh, skill, it's just terrible. The skills challenge parts of the Pro Bowl are more exciting than the actual. Game. Yeah, the game is just just awful. It's just I, amongst the all the All Star games, Pro Bowl is probably the worst, right? Probably. I mean, I don't really watch hockey, so I don't know the way they reformatted the hockey All Star game is. Fantastic. I like it. A is lot. it good? Yeah. Okay. It's like, it's three on three. Oh. Um, and then they, they pit up because you know how. Three on three, cup, including the goalie or not including the Not including the goalie. Not, okay. And then they, um, you know how like each conference has two divisions. Yes. It's basically two divisions version. It's like a tournament style. Oh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. I like it a lot better. And then the NBA also game. I mean, they score a million points, but it's still entertaining to watch because the they're f- so talented. Exactly. The thing about the NBA or the, the NFL pro bowl is that they've tried to revamp it every year, but there's like only so many things you can do. Cause it's such a violent sport. You can't, you know, you, you, yeah. there are only so many different ways you can play football right. and not want, cause people just don't want to go. They don't want to get injured and yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is this weekend as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want to shout out and thank you everyone for watching on Mass and Nationals Twitter, on the Facebook page, YouTube account later on. You can also catch all the podcasts after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. So make sure you subscribe and follow along. We do have two separate streams now. So if you just want all the Nationals content, go ahead and follow. We also have an Orioles stream if you like all things baseball. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty of what we want to talk about today, Paul, today's an anniversary. It is. A big anniversary. Happy for, anniversary, For Bobby. Nationals. Thank you. Thank you so Not much. Here. Paul did have a dream last night that I got married over the weekend, which yeah. did not not happen which one i was like wow didn't know you were engaged yeah was the first part of that did not happen um and and second off thanks for the invite you know yeah. i was i was pretty pissed that uh, i didn't get any kind of invite in the mail it, nothing. it was my girlfriend's birthday over the weekend i only got her i got her a there book. we go okay. i got her a book no no uh ring um but yeah did not get married <laughs> not engaged 
We're not so breaking any. You don't have to worry about buying uh, me a gift or anything uh, for that just yet. Okay. Um, I, I know that probably that was your that was your concern. Probably right? wouldn't you even to, get. You'd have to get me something. No, no, oh, okay. I, I don't think I would get you anything. Cool. Yeah, I'd show up with like, hey, all right, I got you Starbucks. <laughs> that would be about the extent. I the actually gift. would be insulted if my wedding gift or engagement <laughs> gift is not a Starbucks gift card from you. <laughs> that makes too much sense. I'm gonna get a uh, yeah, just a giant wedding cake, and I pop out. But it's just me fully clothed, and I hand you a Starbucks. And, like, the Starbucks, like, mermaid, like, gown. (laughs) (laughs) And the the cake is designed like a cup. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, No, the Nationals are celebrating, and Nationals fans should be celebrating um, an anniversary today. is the five-year anniversary of the signing of free agent pitcher Max Scherzer, who, uh, you know, I think you tweeted out earlier this morning that that ended up turning out pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Pretty well. I think so. It turned out pretty darn well. I mean, he is made a case for being one of the best free agent signings of all time, which is kind of crazy to think that, you know, they are still only five years into this thing, um, and yet he has already written his name in the history books. And especially with this past season, there's truly nothing he has not accomplished Mm -hmm. in those five years. I mean, he's won multiple Cy Youngs. He's finished in the top five uh, just about every season. um, Every season. Every every single season. Wow. Um, Obviously got that World Series ring. Um, he has, you know, had no hitters. Uh, he has, uh, done just about everything that you have asked for from him and, and more. I think he has even exceeded the expectations that Mike Rizzo might've set when he signed him. I mean, I think there have been countless, uh, reports, not reports, but like, uh, articles, stories about the Max Scherzer signing over the past couple of years. I know Barry Saluga had a very popular one in the post, I believe this past season, just saying how Max Scherzer has been worth every penny. Um, And just to quickly go touch on all the Aculas that you just mentioned, obviously the World Series title, two Cy Youngs, top five finishes in all five seasons with the Nationals. Unbelievable. Um, And then add plus, I think, three of them were top three finishes. Uh, Five All-Stars every single season he was an All-Star. Two no-hitters, the 20-strikeout game against his former club, the Tigers, and then uh, obviously a 300-strikeout season. Uh, just a couple seasons ago, he led. He's led the National League in strikeouts three times, the majors once, uh, no, sorry, twice, um, and has had a 20, 20 win season back in twenty sixteen, and then also led the National League in with eighteen wins back in twenty eighteen. So uh, those are just some <laughs> of the small handful of accolades that he has uh, gathered here in D.C. And it's just, you know, we can talk about. Obviously, the Nationals probably don't aren't as competitive without him. Um, I think he also, in terms of fan graph war amongst qualified starting pitchers since joining the Nationals, he's first with uh, 32.6. Um, but, and we talk about how the Nationals don't win a World Series without him. I mean, but I think he has meant so much more. I mean, you are a big fan of the Jason Worth free agency signing with the Nationals in terms of what that meant, uh, making the Nats a place for free agents want to come. I, I would agree that. Max Scherzer probably doesn't come here without that Jason Worth signing first. But I think Max Scherzer takes it to a new level. I mean, he made Washington, D.C. He is, I'm not, I'm not going to say single-handedly, but he is a main factor is why Washington, D.C. has been rebirthed as a baseball town. And we have such a young generation of fans wanting to be baseball players and Nats fans because you get to watch a guy like Max Scherzer every five days. Yeah, and I was just going back and re-watching the introductory press conference just a little bit with Mike Rizzo down at Nats Park. And one of the, you know, they asked him, the, well, why did you want to sign here? What was one big reason? And he said, it really came down to winning. I wanted to win. They're set up to win in the future and to win now. That, that wouldn't have happened if that, 
if Jason Worth signing had not happened. Right. You know, it, it everything kind of the pieces fell in place to allow that to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he absolutely has been for a franchise that has had several franchise faces on this team over the past since 2012 really i mean there have been ryan zimmerman is a franchise face yeah max scherzer is a franchise face steven strasburg is a franchise face most franchises only get one or two for every round that they have but they have had so many multiple time all-stars before bryce harper signed elsewhere he was a franchise face you could make the same case about several guys on this team so um for a, a, a team that is loaded with star power and has been for this run since 2012, he has been the best player uh, amongst all those guys, I think you could say. Yeah. And he has absolutely helped shape the culture. You see the kind of guy that he is in the clubhouse. You see that you know he there nobody else in the game has as much fire as this guy and as much passion for the game as he does. And that speaks volumes yeah, about, you know, what he, who he is as a competitor. Yeah, and you talk about his leadership, too. I mean, it's also little things that I don't think people recognize. Like, he's the team's rep for the players' union. I mean, I remember last year, uh, first day of spring training, and he held his media session. He was the one fielding and answering questions about, you know, the labor issues and, and on the free agent markets and why players aren't signing and why teams aren't playing players. He was very outspoken about that. We've seen him being very outspoken about many topics. I mean, he is the fate. You know, people turn to him when people have questions about not just the Nationals as a team, but also baseball as a whole or whatever's happening in the community. Obviously, him and his wife do fantastic work in the community as well. They've made D.C. their home. Um, he, he has now spent five seasons with the Nationals. That's the same amount of years he was with the Tigers. So by the end of his contract, he will spend at least half of his career if not more, yeah. depending how much longer he goes with the Nationals. He'll be the first I mean, we have the Hall of Fame announcements later today on MLB Network, but he'll be the first national elected to the Hall of Fame. You know, he'll be the first one donning with, the curly W hat. Yeah. Um, and that says a lot, especially for a team or a franchise that is, again, only going on 15 years old. Yeah. Um, so to have him be, the, you know, one of the best pitchers of all time going to the Hall of Fame wearing the curly W hat, I think is also speaks volume, not just to what he meant to this team and organization in terms of a winning basis, but in terms of a culture basis as well. And I think he would go into the Hall of Fame wearing that Nats hat, not just because of the amount of time that he spent with the that he will have spent with the Nationals by the end of his career, but the fact that he was a very good pitcher when he was in Detroit and Arizona, mm-hmm. but he was a Hall of Fame pitcher when he was in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Remember, when he, he signed with the Nats, that signing was criticized by many not just because of the $210 price tag that it came with, million dollar, not actual dollar, uh, but also the fact that, you know, he was he had an ERA of over 3.5 through his career and was entering his age 30 season when he signed with the Nationals. So he was, he was a good pitcher, but he was not a superstar pitcher. I think he only had two all-star appearances in Detroit right before he signed with the Nats, and he was starting to, to look like the Max Scherzer that we know now. He had won a Cy Young, uh, back in 2013, two years before he he signed with the Nats, but there were still times where you could have some concern about him being a top of the rotation guy for X number of years for the seven year period that they signed him for. And you just said, who knows if that's the end of it? You know, he's only under contract for two more seasons. He signed mm-hmm. a seven year deal with the Nationals, but it's crazy to think that he's entering his age 35 season now, 
And you almost have to start looking at re-signing him yeah. after that two-year period because yeah. he has been so good for that amount of time. And obviously, age is going to play a factor, and he has had injuries over the past, these past five years. But if he goes through these next two seasons and looks like the Max Scherzer, the top five Sung Young finisher that we've seen over the past five years, you have to start saying, we have to keep signing this guy until he, he just goes kaput. And we don't know when that will be. Yeah. I feel like after every offseason, after every year he's put up, for, especially over the past couple of years, it's thinking of like, okay, he's got to start slowing down eventually. Yeah, we, and we're we going to see it. some decline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All he, was, he does is finish the top three in the Cy Young voting again this year. Yeah, I mean, I know he statistically wasn't the best pitcher in the National League last year, but he had a Cy Young caliber season. I mean, and he, he was on pace until he got hurt. I yeah. Mean, he missed a good portion of the second half. And in some ways, he had a better season than he did for his two Cy Young seasons in D.C. a couple years ago. So... He has been as good each each of these five years as he has the previous year. Yeah. It's it's amazing. And and you talk about the you mentioned the time that he had in Detroit. You you think you know he didn't really burst onto the scene until the later half of his time in Detroit. Like you said, the last two seasons in thirteen and fourteen, when you made those two All Stars and won a Cy Young and then finished top five again in the American League because you know he was the third guy in Detroit. He it was Verlander and David Price and then him. Um, he was so overshadowed for the majority of his time there. Then he hits it big, you know, has a breakthrough season in 2013, follows it up with a strong 2014, is now the top free agent pitcher and signs to come here where there's already Steven Strasburg and Jordan Zimmerman and Doug Fister. Doug Fister, don't forget, also was on one of those Tigers teams as well. And he's now immediately vaulted as the number one guy. And don't forget, I, I mean, it was like the second week of spring training. I, I don't think you were around here just yet back then, but it was like the second week. And Matt Williams is like, yeah, he's our, he's our opening day. So, I mean, how can you not start this guy opening day? He's going to be the guy. I mean, Steven Strasburg, Jordan Zimmerman, great pitchers in their own right, but Max Scherzer is just a different animal when you when you see him. And and he proved to be, I mean, he's been the opening day starter ever since, as long as he's been healthy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, he's just one of those guys that, you know, I think, when like you said, when people think about Max Scherzer, they're going to think about his time in D.C., not his time with the Tigers, even though that's kind of split because he was kind of overshadowed by Verlander yeah. and Price and, when he was there. And he had never started an opening day right. until coming to the Nationals. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that he has had those five straight opening days, and assuming his spring goes fine, he will have a six straight opening day mm -hmm. um, in the spring. And to add it, especially with this past run, obviously in 2019, he it always helps a Hall of Fame resume when you have, not that he wouldn't be otherwise, but it always helps a Hall of Fame resume when you have some postseason success as well. And just to add the postseason success uh, in this past during this past run has been absolutely massive. I think for his legacy, uh, he has been he was outstanding for the last couple starts. He was outstanding. You know, aside from his hiccup in the wild card game, he was terrific throughout the entire stretch. You add in the fact that he pitched Game Seven after that insane injury that kept him out of Game Five. You fat. You add in the fact that. He had that dominant start in St. Louis uh, to put the Nats up 2-0. He, he was outstanding in, in 2019 in the postseason, and it just it just added to his, his resume. Yeah, and don't forget, I mean, I think people, you think about this postseason, you're going to think about the neck and back thing that hindered him in the World Series, but don't forget he was pitching a no-hitter in Game 2 of the NLCS against yep. the, um, the Cardinals in his hometown of St. Louis, you know, and that was... a performance to remember as well i i'm looking at his game log right now i mean 
how I forgot this, I don't know, but he he came in relief in game two against the Dodgers uh, for Steven Credited Strasburg. with a hold. Yeah, yeah. and um, it was like it's unbelievable to think that he was willing to do anything. To I mean, that's just him in a nutshell. Yeah. He struck out the side. Yeah, and then, 14 pitches. And think about his relief appearances in the postseason's past. Obviously, that inning against the Cubs that went turned into a disaster in Game 5 in the NLDS in 2017. So, yeah, I mean, he has done everything that he's asked. Um, he's just one of those bulldog types that will go out, and all he wants to do is win. And, and, and now that he has that World Series ring, solidifies him as one of the best pitchers of all time, probably the best pitcher in D.C. history, um, and, and a sure ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a... Uh it was a great day five years ago that that really and it's not set, done yet. No, no. <laughs> we're, we're, we're crowning him yeah. a Hall of Famer now. He still has plenty of years left exactly. ahead of him. Exactly. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so now let's move on to what we really want to talk about today. Um, we uh, did not get the chance to talk to Davey Martinez uh, at Winterfest a couple weekends ago. Uh, he was not in attendance, but we did talk to Carter Keyboom, and then we've also heard uh, Davey talk. He recorded a radio interview. Uh, last week, right? Sirius XM meet the press with, uh, with uh, Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd. I was going to say Todd Chuck, which is wrong, <laughs> but Chuck Todd and uh, Davey basically said that Carter's going to play third. Um, now, what does that mean for the Nationals infielder? Because Carter, I mean, Carter Cuban has all tens of purposes right now. Hasn't even made the team yet. I mean, he still has to go out and try to break camp with the team. Um, and we talked about how Mike Rizzo and Davey said he, he's only going to come up if he's going to play. We're not going to bring him up just to bring him up. He has to, he's going to play every day if we're going to bring him up to the major league roster. So what does that then do to the Nationals infield and their overall roster construction and lineup construction if he breaks camp with the team and is playing third base every day? It changes things a lot, and frankly, I was pretty surprised when he came out and said that because – we haven't really seen him at third. He played very limited action at third in the minors last year and didn't do well there. Committed only 10 games. And I think he committed four, four errors, errors yeah. in those 10 games at third base. Shortstop is his primary position. And we were talking about how, you know, second base might be a better option for him in the long term, considering Starlin Castro is only on a two-year contract. It's It kind of throws a wrench into things. Uh, not throws a wrench into things, but it, it changes the dynamic, I'll mm-hmm. say. Um, you know, Davey saying, if he makes the team, he's going to play third. He has to he has to show that he can stick there. And as great as he was in the minor leagues last year, in AAA hitting over 300, he didn't hit very well at the big league level. So if he were to have a, a very great spring training and earn that starting spot at third base coming out of spring, that still doesn't guarantee you that he's going to be a, a solid big leaguer at that spot. So say he has a great spring training, he starts out at third base, and then he struggles. Would they be willing to send him back down and put his Drupal Cabrera at third? Or are they going to say, no, we're committed to this guy right now. We're going to sit through whatever troubles he's going to go through and, and have him figure it out. So it, it's kind of interesting. It's I expected them to play it a little bit safer, keep him in the minor leagues, have his Drupal Cabrera, Starlin Castro, have them figure it out and solve third base, and then go from, and then whenever Carter is really ready midseason, bring him up. But if he comes out of camp blistering, I guess they're going to they're gonna put him in the on the Nats roster. Yeah, another thing David Martinez said in his interview is that he wants uh, Carter to focus on one position. And I yeah. think that's smart. I think that was probably the, the plan coming out of last season is like, all right, with, in terms of Carter, we need him to focus on one position. We can't be moving around the diamond. That might have played in a, fact, a factor into why he wasn't too successful up in the big leagues. I believe he was 
jumping around, playing shortstop to try him at second base to take some pressure off him. He never played third, but he was kind of always moving around, and then he played third a little bit with Fresno. Um, but focus on one position, and I think once the dominoes kind of fell in this offseason of Anthony Rendon moving on to the Angels, you sign Castro, you bring back Cabrera, all right, we have these pieces together. And, and Davey also alluded to that him and Mike Rizzo looked at the numbers and they determined that Starlin Castro is going to be a second baseman. Uh, he, he's better off there. That then solidifies Carter Keboom being a third baseman. And um, I think that's smart, and let's just have him focused on one position, but that pro- but the problem being he doesn't have too much experience there. Yeah. Um, and, he, and we talked to him at Winterfest, and he said uh, that he feels co- way more comfortable there now. Um, he's learning a lot. Davey's alluding to that he it's all about positioning at third base. Once he gets used to positioning, he, he'll be fine, and he's not too concerned about his bat, even though his bat struggled at the major league level last year when he in his brief stint. Um, I agree, too. I think the bat will come around. That's something that Carter, I think, has displayed, especially at the AAA level, that you know he, he can hit. I mean, it's just a matter of getting those major league reps. Um, but playing third base every single day, I think, helps term this your this is your position this is what you're gonna focus on whether you're with the nationals or triple a fresno you're playing third base every single day and you're gonna be a third baseman from now on and i think the nationals want to minimize and they should want to minimize the amount of drop off between anthony rendon and the next guy who's going to take over at third base this is not exactly the safest path to do that especially defensively because he could have his lumps in the field Mm -hmm. to start the season especially and that could mean that there is a major drop-off in terms of the positional, the, the value that they're getting from that third base spot. Um, and if he's not hitting to start the season, there's another big kind of hole in the lineup. So it, it, if he does make, and it, you know, I'm a, he, he still may not make the camp out of spring training, but right. if he does make, camp at, uh, make the team out of spring training, rather, then he has kind of has to hit the ground running. Um, because the... You know, it, he's going to get an opportunity to start every single day. And there are guys on the team. We talked about a week ago, two weeks ago, this lineup or this infield is already kind of bloated mm-hmm. without Ryan Zimmerman. And we were assuming Carter Keeboom was going to start in the minor leagues. They have so many guys there now that you're going to have to keep some guys out of the lineup. And let's say you have Starlin Castro at second base. You have Trey Turner at short. You have Eric Thames or Ryan Zimmerman at first. And you have Carter Keeboom at third. What's Howie Kendrick doing? Yeah. Just kind of sitting on his hands and maybe pinch hitting. But let's say Carter Kimum has the same kind of struggles that he did at, uh, when he was a major leaguer last year and hits about 200. Then Davey Martinez is going to be tempted to go with Howie Kendrick. And yeah. that, would that stunt Carter Kimum's growth? You know, would that, would that hurt his confidence that all of a sudden he's with the major league team, but he's got to sit? It's going to be tough because Davey has to develop this guy, but also... Worry about winning games is the pri- is his primary concern. Yeah, yeah, and, and we talked talked about like with the influx of infielders, like that's sometimes a good problem to have. Like you have options, you have guys you can fall back on, but like you just said, it also it kind of creates an issue in, in in a small way. You have to be very careful how you approach it because, like you said, you could stunt a young prospect like Carter Keboom's growth by having to play every day. If if Carter struggles at third and they have to send him back down to triple, and that's the other thing too is like you don't want him right. In, I mean, also, it's a cross-country flight, but you don't want him going back and forth, back and forth. It's also not easy to get him back and forth. You don't want him doing that very often throughout the season. You want him for him probably, and they say this all the time, playing every single day in the same spot. Um, so if he struggles at up here with the Nationals, let's say he breaks camp with the team, but then by mid-May, he's just struggling, and they can't afford to put him out there every day, but they still want him playing. You have to send him back down. All right, 
Davey said, okay, is Drupal Cabrera could play third base. Um, if in a pinch, Howie Kendrick can move over there too. I mean, it opens up a spot, but it's still not ideal because now you're still shuffling guys around, putting guys like Howie Kendrick at third base that probably shouldn't be there in the first place. Having a solidified third baseman allows Davey to lock that position down and then use Asdrubal Cabrera as a good pinch hitter, as a switch hitter off the bench. You're rotating Castro and Howie Kendrick um, at second base. You're rotating, if we bring back uh, Ryan Zimmerman, Thames and Zimmerman at first, and uh, Asdrubal Cabrera is now your utility player off the bench, which is very valuable. But if, if that position is not locked down with the guy, then you need to play Asdrubal every day. You might need to play Howie Kendrick more than you want to, given his age and, and injury history. So, yeah, it, it create, it's, it's a good thing to have, to have a lot of players available for options, but it, it can also turn sour real quick. And I know injuries will, of course, play a factor at That's some true. point. Um, especially it's considering... It's not all going to go down perfectly. Yeah, especially considering most of these guys, um, you know, especially, you know, Zimmerman, Cabrera, Howie, these guys are all over 30. Um, yeah, Castro even. So, you know, they, at some point, one of these guys will miss time during the season. But still, I mean, if if you have that that starting lineup, like we talked about, that starting infield of Keyboom at third, Castro at second, which is what Davey said, he's an everyday second baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, Turner at short, you have so many... Uh, Davey Martinez is going to have so many decisions to make on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Because if you have those guys with Thames at first, you now have three guys on your bench in Cabrera, Kendrick, and assuming they bring back Zimmerman, that could start. And, you know, are all three of those guys, I know they're they're super guys off the field, they're super clubhouse guys, but are all three of those guys going to want to be sitting for most of the week? and missing most of these games and only get to come in as a pinch hitter or as a defensive replacement, I guess, later you know, later on in the game, even though some of them not great defenders, so maybe they won't get that, that opportunity. Right. So, you know, is this really the ideal scenario? And how is Davey going to play that? Because Davey obviously has earned the respect and, and trust of this clubhouse, but he's going to have a lot of players there for not too many spots. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I think this is also where like you know spring training and camp comes in. Like players will then earn, you know their play will dictate who earns. But you know, in a almost like best case worst case scenario, they're all playing well. Then it's just you know too many cooks, and it's, yeah, yeah. It, it, it turns into a problem um, because then you're like, well, I really want to play Carter keep him on a major level every single day. But I mean, as Drupal's hitting, you know, three homes as a left-handed hitter, whatever it may be, how can I sit him every day? So uh, it's it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be tough. Camp obviously will play a big factor into all of this um, and see how they kind of fall into place. Uh, yeah. I think most eyes will be on how Carter Keepum was looking at third base, mm-hmm. um, and then you probably go from there. I also was thinking because you know if especially Cabrera can play short, Cabrera can play just about any infield position. Uh, Kendrick at this point is kind of a question mark. So if if you have Starlin Castro miss time during the season and you have Keyboom at third, I'm guessing Cabrera is your backup second baseman there. Or would it be Kendrick if you bring Ryan Zimmerman back? There are going to be so many machinations here. Yeah. But then the, the other question is, what if Trey Turner has to miss time? Who's your backup shortstop? Would you move Castro over to short and then have a Cabrera a Kendrick fill in at second because I think Castro is just about the the one you would trust the most besides Trey Turner to play shortstop right probably even though Carter Cuban is technically a, nas- a natural yeah. shortstop but they said they want to keep him in one position 
And that's what I would probably lean to. That's why I'm going to say Castro, yeah, because yeah. it's, you know, I mean, I kind of alluded, I kind of compared it to a couple of years ago, the Manny Machado situation in Baltimore where, you know, he's a natural shortstop, but he's playing a great third base. Let's keep him at one. I mean, I know that's what Buck Showalter, he's like, I want him playing the same position every single day. That's why they didn't move him over to shortstop until obviously later in his time in Baltimore where yeah. they were looking to trade him. But, you know, it's like we're, we're covered at short. You're a fantastic third baseman. Let's keep you there. Obviously, Carter Keeboom's play has to allow him to stay there. But if it does, in that, in that scenario, yeah, I would say Castro's probably your backup. Well, or, I mean, Cabrera could do it too. Yeah, there are, there are several options. I mean, and that's not a bad thing either. I mean, right there, that right there, you have two solid options to fill two spots, though, in that situation because you have Carter keep him locked. Again, it, it depends. If he's locked in at third, that helps fill out everything else a little bit because then I would say, and, and of course, staying healthy because then you've got Trey. Castro's your starting second baseman. You rotate Thames Zimmerman. And then you also have Kendrick dip into the first base pool, but also mostly backing up at second. And then Estrella Cabrera is your defensive replacement pinch hitter um, on the bench. But in that scenario, say Trey goes down again, uh, Castro slide over to short, Cabrera goes to second, I would say. Probably. The other is he, I, I would say at this point, Castro has more range. I, I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. The other question to think about here is, Davey said that Kibum definitely has a chance to, to make the team out of camp. Let's say he doesn't make the team out of camp. He doesn't have a very good spring. They're not convinced he can be, he can be an everyday major leaguer just yet. Mm-hmm. But he's tear, he starts the season tearing it up at AAA. The Nats already have a good system going at, in the infield. They already kind of are figuring out who they want to play at third and, and first on an everyday basis. And, sec, and sec, you know, they're, they, they have their infield set. Do you bring up Carter Kibu midseason and try to fit him into that puzzle, and then have ask go to some of the veterans and say, "Hey, we just got to start this guy. Are you cool with taking a day off every now and so?" Again? In this scenario, so he starts with the team. No, Kibu does not not start, start with the team, but then starts hot in AAA and kind of forces his way onto the roster. Yeah. in season that that would might put Davey Martinez in a little bit of a bind where he's got to say. Ask some veterans, yeah. hey, you got to take a seat for... But that also kind of played... it. I mean, I know we saw him at some point last year, but that kind of played out last year because after he went back down to AAA, he was heating up and had a great season, and he didn't even make, I don't think, a September call-up, right? They didn't even bother bringing him up for September. No. So, I mean, I know they were in the middle of a playoff hunt. So that's why, because he wasn't going to play. Um, but, yeah, that kind, of, that kind of played out last season... And if, you know, if, and if somehow, I would say, I would say no, I would think. Because in the scenario also where Davey has found a good rotation and he's getting good production, and whereas the combination of Cabrera, Castro, I guess Turner, the whole infield, Turner, yeah. Thames, Zimmerman, Kendrick, they're all putting up numbers to kind of fill the void left by Anthony Rendon. I would say no, then that's, that's throwing like a monkey wrench into the whole process exactly. and then kind of putting, you know, throwing everything into confusion. And then how do you tell an Estrella Cabrera, a Howie Kendrick, that, hey, you're playing really well, but we're cutting back your days because we've got to bring up the youngster. Yeah. Like, I don't think that, I don't, I, I those guys love Davey and, and Mike. They they trust them, obviously. But I still don't, I don't think Davey would do that to them. If, no. if, if they're earning playing time. Right. You play the guys that are earning playing time. If they're earning playing time, you can't 
Benjamin just for the sake of bringing up a prospect. Exactly, exactly. And who knows if that plays out, of course. Right. But yeah. the other thing, one more thing I want to say about this is first base, I feel like, has always been, um, especially last year, though, Matt Adams filled that spot. I feel like you could always, you know, any one of these guys pretty much, pretty much can play a fine first base. It's the easiest position there. So it's like, you know what, if he's not getting his everyday starts at second or third, you know, say his Drupal Cabrera is still hitting pretty well, but he just, because Keeboom's got a spot at third, because Turner's at short, because Castro's a second, they need a spot for him. Well, we can fit him into first base. Having Eric Thames, and if they bring back Ryan Zimmerman, they're locked in at first base. So those guys are definitely riding the pine if all, if everybody's healthy. Right. And then they also, they might have too many first basemen because that's, like, right. that's that, basically two and a half. Right. If you're taking, actually, maybe three because Davey mentioned that as Drupal Cabrera could play first base as well. Exactly. So it's like you almost have four first basemen yeah. <laughs> yeah. playing a combination of two spots. So I know they've said all the right things about bringing Ryan Zimmerman back. And I think that they still will. And everybody seems to think that they still will. But it almost makes it easier if they don't. Uh, yeah, just a, it, it just clears up the logjam just a, a little bit. Oh, I think so too. Yeah, because then you know f- how he's your right-handed first baseman. Eric Thames is your left-handed first baseman, and they're also specifically Howie, like on that side of where they shouldn't be playing every day, anyways. Yeah, um, and then you have Castro Cabrera as your backup second baseman whenever he needs a break or pinch hitter. Um, also your emergency emergency shortstop or third baseman. Yeah. yeah. So you're right. I mean, I mean, yeah. Cause again, like getting back into the, okay, too many cooks yep. for the infield. Um, yes. It makes it easier decision wise, but like, what if, you know, what, what if we get into, um, you know, June and, you know, Eric Thames is struggling, Howie Kendrick gets hurt. And yeah. it's like, man, we really wish we had Ryan Zimmerman right now because we need a body. We need a veteran exactly. playing first baseman. Um, but yeah, I know. I mean, it's, a, there's just so many like different, Spider web, like different scenarios, endless timelines. Um, <laughs> then we'll see how it all plays out starting in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, we do have a fan comment and question that kind of also kind of plays into this. Okay. Um, on uh, Mass National's Facebook page, Ryan Carpenzano. Carpen. That was a good, I don't know if that's correct or Ryan not, Carpenzano. but it sounds right. Um, with the recent news of frictions between Arenado and Colorado, do you see a trade in the works? What about other options like Chris Bryant or the New York Yankees and Duhar? Uh, obviously, the Arenado news right now, aside from the Hall of Fame elections, um, it's been a tough week for baseball. Good Lord. Um, but the Arenado's news breaking up over the weekend, how he, he's frustrated with the Rockies. He, there's, there's some mistrust there. Um, he said he feels disrespected, disrespected. according to MLB.com. Um, you know, not with the trade rumors, but I think internally he's felt disrespected, so he might be looking for his way out. Um I mean, I think we tossed around the idea of trading for a Nolan Arenado or Chris Bryant. Um, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I believe, on our on the on the pod. Right now, I mean, here's the thing, and this has obviously been said by you know people who covered the Rockies and, and Major League Baseball. You know, by him saying this, he is now devaluing. You know, he's he's hurting the Rockies in terms because. Teams who are looking for trade to tra- trade for him know that he wants out and can go to Rockies. Hey, you're in a pickle. You're in a bind. He wants out. He's basically lowering the value that he's going to get in return for the Rockies. So do you move him right now or do you kind of sit on him because he is a phenomenal player and do you kind of just let it ride out and hopefully there's some trust that gets gained back over the course of time? I mean, I, ne- I just think 
this all could have been avoided if you had just decided when you signed him that you were not going to make not going to trade him you yeah. know like they they if you're going to make that kind of commitment to him what 260 million dollars or however much he signed for they should not have put him on the trading block but if they were going to put him on the trading block trade him before all this stuff just comes out and it it boils over and it turns into this yeah um, because now it has gotten really ugly um in terms of how it fits into the nationals I think the consensus we agreed upon a couple weeks ago was it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense just because they just passed up on paying another third baseman $245 million, a guy that they had in-house that they developed themselves, and you know to go out and now trade for a guy, take on a $200-plus million of his contract mm-hmm. doesn't quite make as much sense. I know he's... What, a year younger than Rendon? He's 28. 28. Um, and how much does he do for the rest of his contract here? Um, looks like $35 million every year until 2024, with $32 million 2025, and $27 million 2026. That's a lot of money. Averaging $32.5 million per year for the rest of the contract. Wow. So while I think he will be worth it, the Nats just said, we don't want to pay Anthony Rendon that amount of money. So why would we pay Noel Arenado that amount of money and also give up something in return for Arenado. So to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's it's a tough, not a tough sell, I don't think, but it, it's an odd look if you trade for this guy having just given up your own in-house guy yeah. and not willing to pay him what he was worth and what he wanted. Um, also, we're talking, we just had this link, Lengthy discussion about Carter Cubum. Obviously, Nolan Arenado fills a third base role. He's your locked-in third baseman. With that, there's would be no need for a Carter Cubum, so he would probably be a part of that package. Um, but then you're also looking down the lines like, well, then who's going to be your starting long-term second baseman um, a couple years? Like you said, Castro's deal is only for two years. Is that going to be a Luis Garcia? Is he going to be ready in time? Um, but yeah, I, I think overall the optics aren't great because it's like, well, you just, you're now, you just passed up on your own in-house guy and now you're going to pay more for another guy and then also give up players to get him. Yeah. It's not a great look. Um, I, I think that's a tough sell for two ownership ownership and then also to sell it to the fan base. I know fans want to see him. I mean, that's obviously like, you know, if you get Nolan Aaron, no, that's great. I mean, that's a. You know, especially for the next seven years. Yeah, perennial all-star. Right, and that's a, you know, a gold glove every year. That's a, a power bat every year, you know, 100 RBIs and probably 30, 35 home yeah. runs. It would fill the spot in the lineup that Mark Absolutely. Zuckerman has been trying to fill on Madison right. Sports. And then that right there, that's, you know, that's your protection for Juan Soto in the lineup too yeah. as well for the next, for the rest of, you know, hopefully for a long time in his uh, career in D.C. Yeah. But it's just the way it's going to, would all shake out. I mean, the price would have to drop drastically low. Like, you're giving up, for for a Nolan Arenado caliber player, you're giving up, quote-unquote, slim pickings yeah. for him because him calling out his own organization has then lowered his value yeah. for that organization. They might, who knows what it will end up happening. Maybe they'll end up eating some of his money. It, it's It's... They should have never put themselves in this situation because yeah. now, now it is ugly. Yeah. All of their drama is laid bare for all of baseball to look at and pick through. So yeah. I would, uh, you know, they probably, if I had to make my guess now, I think they do trade him this offseason now, but that's just a total guess. Before spring training. 
in the next three, I think, given, three weeks. Given his month. comments, I think they might have to. Well, that's the other thing, too. It's like he was upset enough to go out of his way to yeah. contact this reporter and be like, I need, I want to go on record about this. Yeah, and, he said you can print that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, well, I don't know how it all shook down. I, the, I guess the reporter obviously could have reached out to him right. as well. But, I mean, he he wanted to go on record with it and, and you know, ex- show his displeasure with the team. Right. So not good. No, not great. Um, in terms of uh, the comment also talking about Chris Brown, we've touched on that in the past uh, couple of episodes as well. Again, probably no. It also seems like the Cubs are getting less and less likely to trade him. It feels like, um, and with Andujar with the Yankees, that's another interesting converse- conversation. We have to look probably deeper into that. I don't think we ever talked about that too much into detail, but um you know, I think they're basically the idea is that he's getting, there's not really a place for him in their starting lineup anymore. Um, but great player. He was hurt, right? I believe last season. Last year only played 12 games, hit so 143. Injury history you have to be concerned about. Again, you also have to trade for him, giving up players to get a player. That's something we, maybe we could talk about in the future. But, you know, I, I think, and Mike Rizzo and Dave Martinez have both said this in the past couple of weeks in various different um, media appearances. They're happy with the infield they have right now. They don't need. They don't feel the need to make any drastic changes. Um, yeah, a, as of right now. And I would think, or heading into spring training at least. This is just a guess, but I would think that Andujar would more likely be a piece of a deal to get a superstar. Like Andujar could be a piece of a Nolan Arenado trade, oh God. as opposed to the other way around. Jesus. So you know, I don't think it's you know. I, right. I think if the if the Yankees are going to just guessing, if yeah, the yeah. Yankees are going to trade him. A 25-year-old guy who struggled with injuries, but potential star in yeah. terms of his talent level. Um, I think that they are they are more likely to give him up to get a better player than they are to sell him, you know, to get back pieces. Yeah, yeah. Well, could you imagine Arenado to the Yankees? That would be annoying. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I very much could imagine it, though. Yeah. No, I, I I agree. <laughs> I agree because that's they'll they'll gladly pay that change for him. Yep. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for uh, the Nationals podcast this week for the Mass on All Access podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, whether on uh, Facebook or Twitter. You can give uh, us a follow on uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spotify, what is that? Spotify yeah. SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Also give us a follow on the Facebook pages and Twitter accounts. Paul is at Paul Mancano. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Give us a shout on Twitter with your thoughts on how Carter Keeboom fits into this Nationals infield and any possible trade rumors that go along. And your favorite Max Scherzer moment, five-year anniversary of Max Scherzer or signing with the Nationals, what was your favorite moment so far? Me, probably, probably the 20-strikeout game. I've never seen anything like that. that I mean, the, no hitters are great, but the 20-strikeout game was just, I mean, just utter dominance yeah. in, in a nine-inning performance. But let us know what you thought. Um, happy anniversary, Max Scherzer. Welcome to D.C. Glad you're here. Glad you're going to be a, a Hall of Famer for the Nationals. Mass All Access Podcast, of course, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. For Paul, I'm Bobby. We'll catch you next week.